Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brent. In this episode, we're discussing SST 106, the Blast LP, It's In My Blood. It's the first Blast recording, I believe, for us. It's definitely the first LP. Interesting to get into this band. I think that it's probably a safe bet that this is more of a Brant band than a Ryan band. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. But I do think, I, I bet you both Brant and I agree that Blast over the years haven't really been given their due. That's starting to change lately, and it's good to get into them. And we've got a special guest, Brent. Yeah, we've got Dave Cooper on the podcast today. Very cool to have him on, uh, the bass player from the band. He's got some uh, great stuff on this record, actually, too, that I've never really paid attention to until this week. So um, I, I was getting into it. Yeah, I knew you'd like the bass playing, if nothing else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not like way way up my alley i was kind of thinking like i think it's because blast their recordings in my you know my hometown they it just wasn't around and you never really read about it by the time i was coming of age and getting into this music and i think that they were also unfairly kind of characterized as a bit of a uh, i don't want to say like a not a rip-off band, but I think a lot of people wrote them off as oh, sounding sure. a lot like Black Flag. Yep. And they're and they I can see why, and we'll get into it later, while why people see similarities, but they are not. Like they've got their own sound. Yeah. And yep. it's great. The the part that I like about the interview is uh Dave kind of explains and highlights what their influences were. And uh I think it's really important. For people to get into that with blast so i think it's cool yeah man let's do some spiels and then we can talk about this record all right you first no you first no you first okay uh i have some updates <laughs> this week okay <laughs> first of all an update on something you i think you said last episode that the fitted lp that you got from the new mike watt project yeah first was, fits was your last of the year last watt release that was coming in the mail anyways yep well it's not the last watt release of the year there's one more sneaking in under the wire <laughs> <laughs> ms mssv do you know what that is yeah it's with mike bagata i saw that but is it actually going to be released this year yeah it's on like a super limited cd i listened to about half the tracks are available on the Bandcamp page so MSSV is Mainstream Stop Valve, and the album's called Live Flowers. It's Mike Watt, Mike Begetta, and then uh, Stephen Hodges. Uh, there's a couple tracks from Contemplating the Engine Room on it. There's also a version of The Stooges Funhouse with Jay Maskus on guitar. Ooh, that'll be good. Yeah, you can listen to about half of it on the Bandcamp page, uh, mikebegetta.bandcamp.com. It's worth checking out. Yeah, well, I'll definitely check that out. I didn't appreciate, though, like I saw the tour notices. I didn't appreciate that they actually had a release out. So I think it's I'm pretty limited, it. so you might want to okay. get on that. All right. It looks looks like it's almost like a burn-on-demand kind of thing. Oh, okay. Maybe. I might have <laughs> read that wrong. Okay, here's a few more updates, Ryan, just on some episodes from the last few past few weeks. 
you remember when we were talking to uh, Gary Lee Connor last week and he mentioned the unreleased Screaming Trees tracks from Spinhead? Yes, right. Okay, so I asked Dave Mar- Markey about that. Oh, good call. Yeah. Here's what he said. The Spinhead tribute comp is on hold. I do want to release it at some point, but tracking everyone down and getting the approval has been difficult. Also, labels are scarce, though I do have one that said they would put it out. I inherited Phil's tape archive when he passed away. There were a bunch of tapes of various formats. Some were 8-track sessions, a few were 24-track. There were a bunch of mixed masters. I uncovered four trees tracks mixed on a quarter-inch master. That is the extent of their recordings that exist. Two of the tracks were never released in any form. Mark doesn't even remember them. They're cool songs. The archive is important and needs to be preserved. I just want to do it right. I did the bulk of the digitization already. Shortlist, Sonic Youth, Red Cross, Screaming Trees, L7, The Love Dolls, Nip Drivers, Chemical People, No Effects, Greg Graffin with Phil Newman, White Flag, and of course the bands Phil and I were in, Sin 34, Painted Willie, Anarchy 6, etc., In addition, Phil also made his 8-track tape machine mobile to do live recordings of such bands as Saccharin Trust, Lawndale, Bad Brains, DC3, and Across the River, to name a few. Much of the material also happens to be previously unreleased. Wow, that sounds like a real treasure trove, man. I know, hey? We should put that out on You Don't Know Mojack Records. (laughs) Yeah, you think we should expand into a label? Why Multimedia, not? man. We're like yeah, an empire. Why not? We've yeah. got nothing else going on. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's an Andy Hawkins update. Oh, interesting. I followed up with some questions that I didn't ask him during the interview and couldn't flesh out in the research for the Blind Idiot God episode, which people really liked, by the way. People love yeah. Blind Idiot God. Yeah, I was going to say, it sure seemed like people got into that during that week, which yeah. is very cool. Yeah, they did. Uh, I asked him about the video for Wide Open Spaces. It was directed and edited by Andy's girlfriend at the time. Alex Winter shot some of the footage, and there was a Steadicam used as well. It was shot on a soundstage in the East Village in New York City, and also included some landscape footage from touring. I know it was played on 120 minutes a good number of times by host Dave Kendall, who was a fan. Okay, then I asked him about the decision to put the the dub tracks on the end of the album because I'm always interested in these sequencing choices the decision to put the three dub tracks at the end of the LP was made to replicate the flow of our live shows which at the time had all the fast heavy songs first and finished with the dub mostly Mm. because it made it easier for the sound engineer technically and for our own pacing this fast stuff was very demanding especially for the drummer so I thought that was interesting. And then I asked him a little bit about the production of the dub tracks. For the first LP dub production, the process was fairly straightforward. We tracked each song, then discussed which effects to use and when there would be dropouts. Then we did the mixes in sections, often with several sets of hands on the mixing board. At the time, autom- automation was only available in the biggest studios, so we mixed the sections manually and cut together the half-inch tape for each track. Okay, here's my final update. This is from an email we got from a listener, Dave Martin, about the Opal episode. 
Uh, he says, as you mentioned, info is almost non-existent, but Clay Allison toured the U.S. at least once, billed as Clay Allison. In addition to the 7-inch that the band released and the promo 12-inch that Enigma pressed that were mentioned, there is a Rough Trade cassette. It is unclear if that was going to be a record or just an internal sampler for Rough Trade label people. A good portion of it ended up on the early recordings album and an enterprising person did assemble a bootleg LP entitled Early Recordings Volume 2 not too long ago. He also says, contrary to the info on Discogs, I remember the Rocket Machine CD single as being released. I worked in a record store at the time that stocked it. I guess it could have been a promo, but I don't think so. I remember thinking that it was lame because all of the songs were on the album. And then he's talking about Wolf Knapp, who I'm pretty sure took over as the bass player at some point, uh, like before the transition to Mazzy Star. Wolf Knapp is a Louisville, Kentucky native, and, and in addition to Anti-Tam and Christmas, he was also in Louisville punk band Your Food. Do you know that band? Hmm. I don't. He says, Drag City reissued the Your Food LP a couple of years ago, and it is great. In interesting. Yeah. Something to check out. Yeah. We mentioned Roger Miller, Maximum Piano during that the episode yeah well, yeah so we we did both know this but we had a few people tell us that uh roger miller what is from mission of burma uh he dropped the maximum electric piano in favor of no man by the time of his sst release and dropped that in favor of just his name this is again coming from dave martin all of those are mostly ages from now in the you don't know about mojack time frame there's three in the 200s and three more in the 300s he says, I'd love an episode where you tackle the Sproton Lair LP, but that, will oh, have, yeah. but that will have to wait until you start your Mojack spinoff podcast where you tackle the New Alliance catalog. Yeah, we'll have to, I, I don't know. I mean, we'll be well into our 70s when we're done this show, but it'll be really hard just to stop when we're done SST and sit there and look at New Alliance and cruise and do nothing. Might be hard. We'll see. It'll be hard. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Hit me. Okay, you ready for my spiel? I'm ready. Spiel? Singular? Yeah, just a spiel. It's a, It might be a bit lengthy. It's okay. about metal, Brent. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for some a metal spiel? You like it now? <laughs> <laughs> the end. <laughs> the end. Well, here, here's the thing. So, on the episode, in the interview, you guys are talking about metal. Right. Okay. And if people don't know by now, when Brant starts talking about metal or he just smells the whiff of metal, <laughs> he starts asking the interviewee about metal. And, you know, Dave was very, very nice about it. He was very patient with Brant. Uh, but we also kind of spoke about it last episode on the Screaming Trees Other Worlds episode. And we were talking about that. Uh, documentary series metal evolution and there's an episode about whether grunge is metal right and then you were talking in the interview which we'll hear about in a bit here or hear from in a bit about whether blast was influenced by metal and it is something that sets them apart from black flag whom they're compared with regularly you know i would say blast sound more metal at times than black flag ever did yeah. 
and and in a different way too. But what I what I was thinking is uh, I was looking on my shelf and I have this book called The Great Metal Discography by M.C. Strong. Have you ever seen that one? Mm, I don't think so. I don't know if you've ever oh, yeah. seen. I have that. I I don't have that one, but I have I have another one by the same guy. It looks the same, but it's like alternative rock or something. Yeah, he yeah. has another one. Well, probably his most famous one is called The Great Rock Discography, but he has one called The Great Alternative and Indie Discography. That's the one and they I have. All, yeah. yeah, and then there's another one called The Great Indie Discography. And then I I was looking on my shelf, and I, I look to these now and then as a kind of a resource for bands that I'm interested or looking into. And these discographies are not perfect, but they do have information in them that is not on the internet. So they're handy to have around. And I wanted to, this, this is the thing that I wanted to try out is I wanted to look through the great metal discography (laughs) and, and see what SST bands were in the great metal discography. Okay. And in order to answer the question, do I like metal? Shall we? Yeah. Yes. Hell yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, keep in mind the subtitle for this book is called the great. It's called the Great Metal Discography from Hard Rock to Hardcore, and these these discographies are totally imperfect. And right. but but just check out some of the SST bands. I basically went through the first hundred and five episodes of the podcast and look to see if any of the bands were in the great metal discography and this book has no table of contents and no index so you had to dig to find these bands some of them but anyways here we go in this discography is the bad brains okay black flag blast is not in here Hmm. dos domin is in here brant weird yeah, check out this band that I found in here while just flipping through. There's a band in here called 59 Times the Pain mentioned in here. Weird. Named after the Husker Du song. Got to check them out. Mm-hmm. That's another thing that I love about these books. Every time I flip them over or flip through them, um, I'll find something that I want to check out still. It has the Flesh Eaters and Divine Horsemen in here. Husker Du is in here. Meat Puppets are in here, Brant. Well, you can't. Okay, you can't Keep. you can't decide whether you like metal based on this. Yes, I can. Here, keep going here. Here we go. Minutemen are in here. Yeah. Screaming trees are in here. Uh, let's see here. Sonic Youth. Saint Vitus better be in there. Soundgarden. Saint Vitus is, but I couldn't find it initially because it's spelt S T period, not S A I N T. You see him spelled that way sometimes. Yeah, St. Vitus is in here. Um, the subhumans, the Canadian subhumans at that. Did you see the British yeah. subhumans have a new album out? Yeah, are you a fan? Not really. Yeah, neither am I. And Swa. So those are the metal bands on SST, apparently. And I like all of them a bit, at least, if not tons. So I wouldn't, maybe say, I that, like- I wouldn't say that makes you a metalhead. I think I've, I'm feeling like a bit of a metalhead. Let me ask you this. Do you like Judas Priest? No. What about Dio? <laughs> no. 
Well, here, my point, my point is that just because I don't like finger tapping, teased hair and pinched harmonics and stuff doesn't mean I don't like metal. But it's clear that the if, if you want to just really unfairly overgeneralize about the metal aesthetic, that will remain your wheelhouse for the show and not mine. But when listening to this Blast record, again, I was listening to it with the view of you know, these guys are often compared with Black Flag. And it's clear that that is unfair. I can see why, though. I mean, oh, I can yeah. totally see why. But these guys, in to my ears, have got more of a metal type of edge from time to time. And you guys talk about it in the interview. And um, I got into this album this week, and I don't know, maybe I'm turning into a metalhead. Maybe. Should I make you a compilation tape? No. You know what I really want is I'd love you to make me uh, actual compilation tapes of the ballot result from this show. <laughs> Those would be good. And f- and full of metal bands, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> SST, The Metal Years. That's right. Isn't that the name of a Mojack album, actually? <laughs> I don't know, is it? <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, well, we're only we'll get into it in our seventies, yep. and we'll find out then. I'll probably be ready for metal in my seventies. Finally, I'll have conditioned actually, you by then. I actually think it's just you know we talk about it's a time or a place, and I just think like there was a there was a moment in time where I could have gotten into metal, but instead I got like fresh fruit for rotting vegetables and better than a stick in an eye. In the eye, I should say, and the rest was history. You know, yeah. I kind of, I kind of had picked my side, whereas you've been straddling both forever. You can straddle both, man. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying I don't. You can listen Anyways. to SNFU, and you can also listen to Wasp. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyways, what do you think? Should we uh, see if metal is in my blood? Yeah. It's time to grab reality by the balls. (laughs) History lesson, part one. All right, where are we going to go before the interview, Brent? Let's throw it to the interview. Sounds good. Okay, we're joined on the podcast today by Dave Cooper. Dave, thanks for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Can you take us back to the, the start of the band? Maybe even before that? Okay, I can. Um... Okay, so I grew up in Santa Cruz. I moved up north to Northern California and met uh, Bill Torgerson and Steve Borick in junior high school. We uh, all three of us skateboarded back then, you know, back then. And right. so we had a common thing that we enjoyed doing. So we, we started skateboarding together and hanging out. And so that was in probably 1977, I think. So Steve Borick, the original, you know, guitar player, mm-hmm. and Bill Torrison was a drummer. So we were just kind of into, into skateboarding, and we used to go to the skate contests and stuff, you know, the Hatcher Series stuff. And uh, Steve, uh, his he was from uh, San Francisco, but his dad lived in New York, and his dad... So Steve would go out to New York every summer, and, and he would come back with some, like, always had the new, fresh tunes you know from new york and we were you know being up in uh northern california we were a little bit out of the out of the mix as far as 
the newest punk stuff. I mean, you know, this is almost before punk, actually. Right. So he came back one summer with a Devo album. <laughs> and um, I remember uh, me and Bill and were hanging out at his house and uh, at Bill's house. He, uh, he locked us out of that Bill's house, Steve did, and uh, and cranked up Diva. We didn't know who it was. We had no idea, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, all of a sudden, we're hearing this music just blaring out of Bill's house, and it was Devo, the new Devo album. And Well, that was, like, super cool. And, uh, we, you know, we still had long hair. We were skaters, and, you know, in 1970, 78. You know, like Dwayne Peters, all those dudes were still not punks, and you know, all the skater scene was still super, you know, surfed out or whatever, I guess you would call it. Yeah, that was the beginning of punk rock for us at that point right there. That was probably the start of us even thinking about something other than, you know, what we were listening to at that point. When did you guys form your first band, and what was that band? The band that we first formed was MAD. One of my best friends uh, was friends with these dudes from Texas that would come out every summer. And uh, one summer, you know, they came out and they, we all had long hair and we're hanging out like uh, around the same time. And then uh, they went back uh, home uh, for the winter and then they came back out the next summer. We had to cut all our hair off. We were like total punks. And then... So they went back home. Uh, the next time we heard from them, I got a call from them. I got moved out down to Santa Cruz at that time. I got a call from Kurt and uh, and Eric. from uh, They had formed a band called DRI. Yep. And um, so they were uh, somewhat influenced by, I think, us. They were they were freaked out when we when they came out for that summer. They were like tripping out. Why the hell? What is wrong with you guys? You know what I mean? <laughs> For cutting your hair. <laughs> you guys are freaks, right? So that was those. So in the meantime, uh, I would say that summer they came out and we were all punk. We had all moved down to Santa Cruz and started the band uh, MAD. It was a mutually assured destruction. We uh, we have a song on Maximum Rock and Roll compilation, then Boners Be Poppin'. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a song called Holocaust. So that was the first band. And the band, the song In My Blood was originally an MAD song. Okay. That song was called Fucking With My Head, I think. Or Brainwashed. No, it was called Brainwashed. Okay. Going way back. And what kind, of, what kind of bands did MAD play with? Did you, uh, did we you play opened, shows? Our first, our first show we opened for um, the Dead Kennedys up the on-Broadway. Wow. They had heard our stuff. I think uh, I think maybe Steve sent them a Holocaust song and, and they were stoked on it and they put it right on their album and I think then I mean, that's well we played like a little show in Santa Cruz and we I think we headlined it. That was our first one of our first shows. <laughs> there was really not a lot of punk rock bands happening in Santa Cruz at that time. But, which is one of the reasons I moved back down there and I told the guys, I said, Hey man, there's nothing going on down there as far as bands. We should go down there and start rocking out and, you know, which we did because we kind of were jamming up, up North and then, uh, 
doing some stuff, just kind of weird little punk rock stuff. And then we, and we moved down there and, and uh, because there was really not a whole lot happening and it was more fun down there too. But, um, and then how does Mike get involved in the band kind of uh, morphed into blast, right? Yeah. So what happened was we were MAD, we were playing, playing shows and then something was going on where the band was kind of on a hiatus and somebody was moving, possibly moving somewhere. I feel like it might've been Clipper, but, then uh, he didn't go, and then so we all lived together down in Santa Cruz and uh, except for Clifford. And then we just took that break with MAD, right? Yeah. And then um, Nider moved down from up north to Santa Cruz, and um, we were thinking while we were in MAD, we were considering you know adding another guitar player. And we and Mike was our friend from up north, so you know we all were buddies up there, skater buddies and whatever. Just always hung out, and then uh, so he moved down, and then we uh, asked him if he wanted to play second guitar, and then we just went ahead and changed the name of the band at that time. And shortly after that, you do your debut album, "The Power of Expression." Yeah, nineteen eighty six. Later reissued yeah. on SST. Yeah, we recorded that. Uh, I have the two-inch tapes. We actually recorded that once down in L.A. at Track Records, Track Records, Track Recording Studio, and that's like a metal, you know, recording studio. And it was just really slow. <laughs> and we were like, this is not working. We were on tour. We were like touring, and we were all really tired. It was late. We, you know, we played into like up until like three in the morning or something. And, and we listened back to it, and uh, it was just horrible. It was just really slow, so we ditched that, and then we went into the studio in Santa Cruz and re-recorded, sped everything about, make sure everything was at the tempo it was supposed to be, I guess. Right. And, um, so yeah, that was power of expression. Yeah, I thought I thought I read somewhere that you actually did the album three times. Um, I think we did it twice. We did it once in L.A., and then we did it once uh, up in Santa Cruz. And the, yeah, the label we that it came out on, Wishing Well, Green World. Yeah. Oh, Wishing Well, I think, um, I think I thought, I'm, I'm almost positive they did use the, the tracks from uh, the second recording. Yeah. And then uh, that didn't work out. And, you know, Chuck Dukowski started showing up at our shows down in L.A. Things happened really fast for us. I mean, we just, like, went from... MAD to blast to like just blowing up in LA. I mean, pretty quickly, you know, it's all kind of a whirlwind. And then all of a sudden Chuck started showing up at our shows. And then he asked us, you know, if we wanted to be on SST records. And of course we said, yes, because they're like the raddest dude ever. So the green world label seems like it had a lot of metal bands on it. Were you, were you playing with a lot of metal bands? You know, I mean, we played with, like, Dr. No and RKL and stuff like that down in Oxnard. I mean, I don't remember there being a lot of metal bands. Uh, Green World, that, that, yeah. He's wishing well in Green World, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about Green World. Jeez. <laughs> well, someone someone from the band had posted recently a, a poster of Blast 
uh, Slayer, Overkill, Metal Church, and DRI. Apparently, there was a funny story from that gig. Do you do you know what they're referencing? I do because it was me that. <laughs> yeah, that was the later on. We had just been on our shit. I think our second tour. Maybe we were on the way back. We uh, no, no, that was no, that was to play with G. We had to race home to play with GBH. That was a whole freaking another story right there, dude. Uh, yeah, so we, yeah, Slayer, we opened for Slayer and, uh, DRI, they were, they were always our buddies from, from way back and that was crazy. And, uh, yeah. So what's the, what do you know about the story? I don't know anything about it. (laughs) You don't know anything about it? No, no. Jesus. I don't know if I should, uh, I should bring it up. I think you should. uh, Oh, you think so, do you? (laughs) Can you do it without incriminating yourself? I can um, do a like maybe hypothetical thing. Like I heard something happen. Okay. And I heard that after the show, uh, well, I heard that Blast Muffler um, had blown off on the way back from tour uh, somewhere in Yuma, Arizona. And then, uh, so they were, you know, and at the Olympic Auditorium, you had to pull down into the stage area into the standing room you know where people stand in front of the stage to load up and unload and i heard that somebody got in that blast van on the way out of there punched it and headed right for slayer and and uh did a quick turn up the ramp and every one of their roadies and every security person in the in the area chased a and I think there were some gunshots. <laughs> wow. I know we had a bullet hole in the back of our van. No way. They almost, yeah, then uh, I think, pretty sure they almost, and then I was, so uh, the driver uh, had turned and he was trying to get out of there, and there was a chain across the, the exit, so he had to back up, and then uh, while he was backing up, uh, both the uh, front doors were opened up by people chasing him, and they almost, and then, and right at that moment, there was a, you know, there was an escape route. So they <laughs> tore off, and uh, uh, they were able to get out of there without getting beat up. <laughs> <laughs> wow! And the rest of history. Now, by the way, that, that I mean that band was like it was like NASCAR loud in that in that. Auditorium. I bet. Just <laughs> I mean screaming from what I've heard, from what I've heard. Right. <laughs> yeah, that right. was a wild show. All the, all the guys from uh, uh, Suicidal were hanging out in the back too. Oh wow! Crazy fun, really fun time. Really fun. Now, fast forward to the "It's in My Blood" sessions. It was Steve out of the band by that point. Do you know? Yeah, Steve uh, was involved with changing the name of that song from "Brainwash" to "It's in My Blood." That was on the second album, right? That's on that. Yeah. Yeah, so Steve was involved with that, and uh, yeah, so we just kind of took that song and made it better, I think, and made it different, we made it different. It's still pretty similar to the original, if you listen back on that, you'd be stoked on hearing it on the MAD version, you did a reference to that song, which is still probably one of my favorite songs. Uh, Steve also gets a co-write credit on Look Into Myself, I think. He wrote that. Uh, Actually, I mean... 
if you want to get right down to the reality of the situation, back up north before MAD, um, our friend, this guy, our friend Todd Lemma was, and this is, this is the straight truth, and I just found this out from Steve uh, a couple weeks ago, which I didn't real realize. Um, our friend Todd Lemma was messing around on his base, and uh, he was writing, he wrote that riff for Brainwash, which is the intro to In My Blood, right? Okay. Dun, 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 dun. And uh, Steve uh, grabbed it and was like, oh, my God, that's really cool. And then Steve took it and took the the, the part and kind of tweaked it a little bit and, and then and made it, and then it reused it as Brainwash in MAD, and then it became, uh, obviously, it became In My Blood. Uh, the second album. Kay Duval gets a credit on the track sequel. Oh, Kip? Yeah. William Duval. Yeah. Can you tell me how he came and went from the band? Yeah, well, um, Steve quit halfway through, you know, we had just released It Did My Blood, and we were touring out, playing out, you know, at that time, and then Steve just had had it, but uh, I don't know, he just had a freak out and he quit, and so we needed another guitar player. So we were talking to the boys in COC, and uh, they were always really good friends of ours, and we always played shows with those guys from the beginning. And um, they would always stay with us when they came out here, and we we stayed at their place out. And, you know, we went out, out to the East Coast, and it, yeah. So with, uh, they had suggested that we uh, check this guy out. And, and of course, uh, so then he flew out and he was a big blast fan. So he already knew all the stuff pretty much. So, and he had, yeah, he wrote that song, People, I believe. Yeah, pretty killer song, actually. He was in Neon Christ. And he played on the whole album and then his tracks were scrubbed. Is, is that right? For the SST version? Was he on, did he play on, he played on It's in, um, uh, in My Blood? I thought I had yeah, read when it. When the album got remixed for the Southern Lord reissue a couple of years oh, yeah. ago, that his, his original tracks had been kind of restored for that version. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I um, Kip did play on it, didn't he? Yeah, he played on the whole thing. Yeah, he wrote sequel. Good song. He's a good. He's a great guitar player. Great songwriter. Good guy. Do you remember tracking the album at Mars Studio? Ken Kraft was the uh, the engineer. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Santa Cruz. <laughs> it's a Santa. It's in Santa Cruz. Yeah, it's in Santa Cruz. That's crazy. Yeah, that was, oh my god, that was, yeah. <laughs> I can't <laughs> believe we got it. Actually, I got a good recording out of that place. Unbelievable. Was it a, in like an older studio? Yeah, it was an old studio up in Santa Cruz. You know, everybody's still tricking a bunch of hippies up there at that point. <laughs> no offense, to, yeah. you know, spirituality, but. Yeah, I mean, people were clueless, and they definitely had no idea, you know, how to do our kind of music. You know, thinking back on it, that was pretty amazing, actually. Mike was actually working for Santa Cruz Skateboards at this time? Yeah. Well, when we were in MAD, we lived up above a whorehouse on 41st Avenue, which was, like, right next door to MHS Skateboards with Santa Cruz. And Niger went over there and got a job back then. And uh, he worked for them for a long time. You guys ended up 
having a lot of songs in some some skate videos and on some skate rock compilations too. Yeah, yeah. That must have helped. Yeah, really. I was, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, the whole Ross Hop poster. You know, Rob lived with us back then. And, oh, he lived uh, with you? Yeah, he lived with us. Uh, <laughs> we lived above the whorehouse. That was interesting. Okay. It was a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> People knocking on the door, like, you know, trying to get laid at like four in the morning and then not getting in. They're drunk. But, um, yeah, so Rosshop lived with us for a while, and we all skated together. And I know me and Niter were getting pretty good, and, you know, we're trying to keep up. And I was trying to keep up with Rob, and, you know, it was tough. I mean, the, and I was trying to do music at the same time. And and then me and you know, me, I was always excited with Keith Neat. He was on Santa Cruz. Okay. And he had the slasher board. And we, we used to surf together back in the day, and, so we were all trying to, you know, Meester kept skating. I just couldn't keep up with the moves. I mean, it was like, I was good. I mean, I was, you know, I was doing everything. This was ramp skating, else. primarily? Yeah. 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 You know, big half pipes and pools. He used to skate, you know, all the old, uh, you know, Big O, Skate Park, Winchester, right. all the big parks before they got closed down so that insurance. So we used to skate big, you know. And then that's how I met Keith Meek. He needed a ride over from Winchester over to his mom in Santa Cruz. And then we started skating together at Winchester a lot. And then, uh, you know, things just progressed from there to ramps. All this parks got closed down. We used to skate ramps. And and, uh, Rob, you know, moved out from wherever he was from, Ohio or Iowa or something like that. Uh, so we all were just trying to, you know, we were, I mean, really, I guess, you know, Rob was signed. We were trying to get pro. It, I just couldn't keep up with the moves and do music and surfing and stuff. And, you know, not, I wasn't a big surfer, but and yeah. really it was just freezing, freaking cold. And then <laughs> get out of, get out of the water and then have to go to practice. Your hands don't work for like three hours. So you said Chuck Dukowski was kind of the, the catalyst for signing you guys to SST. Yeah, he definitely was scouting us. Yeah, you know for sure. Yeah, I used to see him in the crowd, and I was, I was like nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but we were friends before that. We used to, me and Meekster and our and Steve, and we all would like go up to Reno. They played in Reno back in the day. They would play anywhere. They'd play a little garage, a black flag. Right. They didn't care, and. uh you know, like they, you know, the mother and all those dudes, Meekster and out and Chuck, all the we all hanging, were hanging out. You know, back in those days, before I don't even know if we were we were MAD probably at that point, maybe just maybe MAD, not even yet. I think back then, but yeah, they played a place called I think it's called the Rat House or the Rat House mm-hmm. up in uh, in Reno, and we all met there and. Then, we all became friends, kind of just. And so we'd always go to their shows, religiously. I mean, she used Minutemen, Black Flag. Did you guys get compared to Black Flag a lot? And did that bother uh, you? Like, I, were you were you bothered well, by it? Well, I think that the problem is we're definitely. I mean, everybody has their input for right. sure. But if you're in the band and you're playing the notes and the songs. 
you know it's not black black. Yeah. You know what I mean? um, So, you know, people have their opinions. Everybody has a, you know, I'm sure we sounded similar for sure. You know, they were a huge influence on our life. I mean, when I first heard Nervous Breakdown, stuff, and that changed everything. That went to punk rock from Devo, Ramones, to fucking hardcore. You know, yeah, it took it straight. It was new, a whole new direction, which was I loved it, and I was like, oh god, you know, of course, yeah, we were probably we were. I mean, highly influenced by Black Flag, can't deny that, but also influenced by the Germs and bands like Minutemen, USA, Plasmatics. I mean, we were influenced by a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I think. It, if you listen to it, you, it shows. I, mean, I was probably most influenced by the germs. I just really loved the way that guy put that. That girl played bass, you know what I mean? So. You played with your fingers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And let's see, the reason I... Actually, the reason I play with my fingers is because I went to a show in Sacramento, and there was about probably 200 people there, and the band I saw was uh, Iron Maiden. Yeah. And um, we were right up front. Steve Harris was, and we were punks. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I was just so blown away by how fast that dude played, you know, and how tight with his fingers. And when I went home after that show, I, I sat with my bass and I literally just worked on my finger, my picking hand, my finger speed and I just would go and go and for hours and hours and hours, you know, trying to get my speed up with right. my fingers and it worked and you know that was so yeah, that was my big influence for how to play with uh with fingers instead of a pick. I always thought playing with a pick was kind of a you know, an easy way out. Right. It seems like you guys were all maybe influenced by metal to a degree. For sure. Yeah. We were into like you know, we were definitely into metal um, back in those back in the day. But uh, you know, punk was our big thing. And then, I mean, we you know, I went and saw the Plasmatics of the Stone back in the day, and crazy shit happened there. And you know, so we were always you know we were going to the early map shows, Adolescence, GSLL, Black Flag. You know, you know, we were we were definitely on the scene, on the punk scene for sure, but metal was definitely acceptable because some of that stuff was like super cool, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was like Maiden was pretty cool, a little cheesy for sure, but definitely was holding its own. And what, what, are the, uh, you know, Merciful Fate was pretty rad and Venom and stuff like that were always pretty cool. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, a few of the bands you've mentioned so far, like DRI and COC, you know, became more metal even as they went along. Yeah. Right. There was a whole crossover thing. Yeah. Which I think COC was probably a huge factor in that. They they were they were the they were just great. I mean, you know, they still are. I just saw them. I just saw Oh yeah, yeah. A couple months ago down to San Francisco. So mm-hmm. but yeah, they're they're just awesome dudes and they're metal and they're heavy rock metal kind of right you know yeah. punk punk metal rock so they were like cool um 
because we were, yeah, definitely into metal and stuff like that from back in the days. And they were like the prof. They were, they were, they were so cool that they, I believe, I feel like they were probably highly influential in bridging the punk metal thing. And people probably don't even realize how much they had to do with that. Maybe. Yeah, I hope they get the credit that that they deserve for that. Yeah, they, they seem to, but it's definitely a DR, DRI and suicidal tendencies. You you know yeah, get mentioned. DRI a lot. for sure. Yeah, suicidal too. I'm not sure Blast gets credit for kind of bridging those two genres. I I feel like you guys did too. Like yeah, I, I I'm uh, not sure you would be considered a crossover band, but you definitely you know, bridged punk and metal for sure. I think we did probably. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we're definitely, I just, uh, Steve's writing style was just so meticulous. Like, and he's still like, we're, me and him are jamming right now. And, oh, really? Um, yeah, he wrote a new album and we're working that out right now. It's just, his writing style has never changed. I mean, it's just his style, you know, and he's writing stuff that's just, so crazy right now it's it reminds me a lot of the first album really oh wow and, like are you getting yeah. a band together yes we are for sure okay and then uh, um we've been me, me and steve have been playing jamming for about almost a year six months looking for a drummer we have a drummer possibly and then uh, we're just gonna start looking for a singer okay after that after we're gonna do a recording and and then look for a singer. Okay. Is Bill still around? Yeah. Bill's out in Maui. Oh. In Maui. We've been talking about, you know, to him. Uh, we went out and visited him and hung out. We were hoping that maybe he wanted to, you know, he might be moving back to the States. And if he was, then we were going to have him drum. And he's just really busy with other stuff. So he's kind of, you know... He's had a rough life, and uh, he just kind of had to literally like go move to an island. <laughs> I mean, he's had a, a rough time. A lot, a lot oh, that's of that's too bad. A lot of a lot of family tragedy, oh. and uh, so he's uh, yeah. He moved to Maui just to, I think just to get away from everything. Mm. So yeah, we were kicking around him coming back. He was possibly coming back. We were going to have him drum, but. Uh, yeah, me and Steve are jamming right now, and, uh, you know, we've got some people that are pretty interested in the stuff we're doing, and so That's cool. we're going to continue doing that, yeah. Right on. Dave, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. No problem. All right, there you have it. Great interview with Dave. Thanks so much for being on. You don't get to hear much about these guys. I mean, there was a bit of an uptick in interest in Blast when this record was redone or remastered or whatever by Dave Grohl in the last few years, right? There's a lot of stuff out there about Blast, and a lot of it is from that, you know, the time this got reissued. So this got kind of, I don't know, it's not reissued. I guess this is maybe a way to for bands to get their SST stuff back out there. It was remastered, I thought, right? It was remastered. It was remixed, too. Um, yeah. Like, Andy Hawkins has those Blind Idiot God tapes. Just remix it, man, and you're good to go. Yeah, maybe. We're talking, of course, of the Southern Lord reissue of this record 
and at that time it was just called Blood, and that's from 2013. Yeah, I'm usually not a fan of remixes or re-recordings, especially re-recordings of classic albums. I'm going to be honest with you, like the blast, the Blood version, the updated one, I is it just rules. I prefer it. Yeah. Yeah, I've not heard it. I've only ever heard this one. It's in my blood. Yeah. Well, I gave it to you on CD, so you do have it. What? Yeah. You did not. Yeah, last time I was at your house, I gave you a copy oh, of it. Oh, you're right too. How did I forget? I got to listen to that. You do have Shoot. to listen to it. Um, Man, I'm un- I'm ungrateful, aren't I? No, no, you're not ungrateful. You're just you're not a blasthead. It's okay. So, here's from the band's Facebook page. I kind of was all over the internet. They do have a, an official website, blastofficial.com. It's not super up to date. And we'll get more into their early history uh, when we get to, to the Power of Expression album and we'll get more into what they did after Blast when we get to the Take the Manic Ride LP. There's two more Blast LPs and a 7-inch coming up still on SST. From their Facebook page, Iconic Santa Cruz Heavy Fusion Act Blast has constructed a heavy, timeless musical onslaught that stood on its own and has been proven with time. So, Blast is Mike Nider on guitar, Clifford Dinsmore on vocals, uh, Dave Cooper on bass, and Bill Torgerson on drums. And their original uh, second guitarist, or their original soul guitarist, I guess, before Mike Nider came on, uh, was Steve Stevenson Borak founding guitarist he left after they recorded the power of expression and the cool thing about uh, the blood album it restores the tracks originally by william duvall who uh, i think we probably refer to him in the interview as kip he was uh, the guitar player in a hardcore band called neon christ based out of atlanta georgia they have an lp or an ep sorry called parental suppression which is just an awesome name for a punk ep yeah uh, and william duvall aka kip is currently the vocalist in allison chains so he played he was in the band and he played on the the entire album but they like scrubbed his tracks or whatever because he he left before the album came out so when you listen to that blood like the the updated version his tracks are restored on that Okay, I want to talk about skateboarding for a minute because that was probably my first encounter with Blast was on a skate video and it probably would have been Speed Freaks in 1989 which has a lot of these Santa Cruz early skate videos like Streets on Fire were heavy, heavy on the SST. Like Streets on Fire came out in 1989 has Descendants, Firehose, Black Flag, Sonic Youth, Minutemen, Blind Idiot God, the track Dark and Light, Swa, Gone, two Blast tracks, Surf and Destroy off of the previous LP, and then It's In My Blood off of this one. Uh, And then Speed Freaks, also 1989, has an even far out, more far out SST soundtrack. Tar Babies, Alternatives, Saint Vitus, Leaving Trains, Gone, Screaming Trees, Blind Idiot God, Descendants, Dinosaur Jr., Firehose, Blood on the Saddle, Black Flag, Swa, and Blast. And... I know for sure the first time I heard Blast on album was on a Thrasher skate rock tape, Pawns of the Apocalypse, uh, which came out in 1990, which I I have all those skate rock tapes. I bought them all as they came out, but um, they were a different band by that point. I went back and listened to it because I, 
couldn't remember what that song sounded like. It's not on any of their SST LPs. And it still has some of that Gin-style shredding, but different bass player, and there's some serious bass popping on it. Uh, it's way more mid-tempo. The vocals are more melodic. Uh, it's a track called Out of Control. You might actually really like it, Ryan. There's a couple demos. We'll get into this when we get to the Take the Manic Ride. But after that album, they, they did a couple demos, which I have as bootlegs, and uh, they're really interesting. Different kind of blast kind of went in a different direction. Yeah, I never followed them, so that would be interesting to check out. Did you say, though, or like in your comments, are you suggesting that like the guitar playing on this record is Gin esque? Because it's the thing that I thought was the most different from Black Flag on this record. I thought, you know, the vocals. The, uh, the finger-picked bass, uh, not, and he doesn't sound like, Dave doesn't sound like Chuck, but the finger style with the drums and the change in tempos and the vocals, that's the part where I thought, oh, okay, like someone who is not paying attention would say these guys sound like Black Flag, but not because of the guitar playing. Oh, no, the guitar playing is totally, there's a total influence there. But, but really, oh, I mean, yeah, it's not really, there's not, yeah. there's not much soloing or anything on this record. Oh yeah, there is man. There's ah. lots of, and the way, and the places he puts the solos are totally, look, I agree. I was like, I'm not even going to talk about Black Flag because I'm sure the band is sick of hearing about it. It's to me, it's like, whatever, who gives a shit if they're influenced by Black Flag? Why is that a bad thing? Like you, you listen to a guitar player that's influenced by uh, Jimi Hendrix and no one ever talks about it like it's a negative. Everybody has influences. I'm sorry, Mike uh, Mike Nider is totally influenced by Greg Ginn and his playing shows it. And a lot of that is probably the structure of the band. I mean, both Kip and Mike Nider played the those like uh, Dan Armstrong plexiglass lucite guitars or whatever they're called. Yeah, and that's I mean, another... Greg Ginn's not the first person to play those. Keith Richards played them, you know? Well, I guess my point is I just didn't I didn't think that that was the part that stuck out the most for me as being influ- and I get I agree with you actually. I I think that it is, you know, we're only talking about it because I brought it up if you weren't interested in talk or, you know, wanted to avoid it cuz they're tired of it. And I no, get you, that. You can't but... avoid it. It's in all of my notes when we get to the tracks. You can't not talk about the Black Flag influence. It's Yeah. But everyone is influenced and that's okay and I, I think that people uh, give these guys too little credit because uh, of that comparison because oh, yeah. I do think that they're unique but it's funny like uh, maybe it's because you're a guitar player but it was the rhythm section to me that stuck out in that way not the guitar at all yeah I got to keep talking about Santa Cruz here okay Okay, so he mentions NHS, I think, in the interview. So that's the company that owns Santa Cruz. They also own independent trucks and a bunch of other brand names too. And that iconic Screaming Hand logo that Jim Phillips designed, the Santa Cruz one, apparently was was almost a blast design. And the thing about, for me, about like the Santa Cruz team when I was a kid, like everyone was into Powell and the Bones Brigade, and I was too. I love all those skaters, but the Santa Cruz guys were like the punk rock crew, like Jason Jesse, Nottis, who we've talked about before, Rob Roskop, who they talk about in the interview, like that iconic photo of Rob Roskop 
blasting a huge air over top of yeah of the band everyone thinks they're standing on a rollout deck on that he's actually i've seen photos where he's actually hitting a launch ramp but it's it's an awesome picture it's jeff grosso steve alba all these people were on that team so and they were huge they had a huge connection to skateboarding blasted here's the thing i found from thrasher in december 1990 written by this guy ray stevens the third this high energy hardcore outfit is a Santa Cruz tradition. Blast has been slam jamming since 1983, releasing, he's a little bit off on, on his releases here, releasing two blazing albums and several scorching singles on the SST label. I think there's only one. The recent Santa Cruz video, A Reason for Living, and the latest Thrasher skate rock tape, Pawns of the Apocalypse, both feature songs by this tempestuous group of NorCal surf skate tattooed madmen. As of late, stoking new bass player, John Schuler's precision funky thumb has been melding into Mike Nider's black flag styled screaming guitar to blast blast toward an ultra bitchin planetary planetary plateau. Drummer Bill Torgerson credits group creativity as the prime mover. Okay, here's a thing from the Southern Lord page. Blast were beyond intense, continually pushing the boundaries of hardcore with their advanced musicianship unstoppable energetic delivery and explosive live performances blast's wide-eyed ambitious approach and intense perseverance became an influence for many bands to come there's a bunch more on there if, if anyone wants to see that and it talks about the process behind you know uh mike Knighter finding the tapes to this uh in an abandoned storage locker and how greg anderson uh who owns southern lord and also is in that band sun how he got Dave Grawl to bake the tapes and digitize them, etc. It's all it's all on there. So that's cool. And this is one of the best things I found from around the time of the reissue. It's from Spin Magazine, an article that came out in 2013 about the album Blood. Although Blast haven't garnered the same legacies that fellow puff-chest, ragged-voiced crossover thrash bands like DRI, The Accused, or Void have over the past 30 or so years... They're not even mentioned in Stephen Blush's American Hardcore tome. The new mix of the retitled Blood gives the group back its bite. It oozes primordial hardcore menace, unlike the original, which suffered from fuzzy 80s overproduction. Now rescued from oceans of reverb, songs like Shh seethe with a rejuvenated anger. Vocalist Clifford Dinsmore strains his vocal cords as he claims the future for himself. Guitarists Duvall and Mike Nider play jagged riffs, and drummer Bill Torgerson jerks in rhythmic spasms. Nice. Okay, I'm going to read you a few more things, because there's an interview after this. They talk a little bit about uh, the band MAD, Method of Destruction, which we're going to get into them more when we get to the, the first Blast album. Here's Clifford Dinsmore talking about how they got associated with SST. We never thought about signing to SST until we noticed Chuck Dukowski showing up at all our shows. I had known him since I was a young kid because I went to all the flag shows, and he started showing up in the front row with this really intense look on his face. I remember remember thinking, he's going to kill us or something. We literally played Greg Ginn a Ghetto Blaster recording of the song It's In My Blood with no vocals or anything. He was just like, oh yeah man, alright, and that was that. Okay, here's one of the interesting things from this interview, though. The uh, Corey Groh is the interviewer. What's the deal with the apostrophe in the band name? 
Clifford Dinsmore says, that's a really good question. I don't know. The straight up truth is that, is that Steve, who was in the band at the time, designed a sticker for us and put the apostrophe or accent mark or whatever it's intended to be in there, as well as the exclamation point. I was just like, what the hell is that? This is stupid. Why is this here? It bugged me at first, then it just stuck. I definitely think it had some sort of weird subliminal appeal because those stickers ended up everywhere. And it is cool, I think, that little apostrophe. Yeah, it's a silent apostrophe almost. Yeah. <laughs> like I thought maybe the band was called Blast or something. Or Blast. Yeah. Just for curiosity's sake, I checked and Southern Lord still has the Blood LP available on CD and vinyl. And the SST, SST Superstore uh, has three Blast albums available, all three of them, on CD, and It's In My Blood uh, is on LP, and they also have a Blast shirt on their website. So That's so weird. It's so random what they keep in in a production, hey? Yeah. Like, I'm not, I don't think that's old stock, do you? No, no way. No, probably not. Okay, here's a thing from Brian Walsby uh, from his blog, Introverted Loudmouth. How did these five young men from such a laid-back beach community in Northern California record an album so great that they showed up their heroes? And by heroes, I mean Black Flag first and SSD second. In the case of Black Flag, what can I say? They changed my life forever. But it isn't too hard to state, by the time the power of expression came out, the mighty flag was winding down a bit, if not by the tail end of the Rossler-Stevenson lineup, then certainly by the loose nut in my head, final offerings of said heroes. Blast was famously made fun of by Henry Rollins in his Get in the Van book when the two bands encountered each other in 1984. And it is a belief shared by most people. A lot of people couldn't get past the flag thing. But from the first time I saw this band play in Oxnard, California in December 84 until the last time I saw them with ex-Neon Christ guitarist Kip Duvall, this band handed my ass back to me every time and made me say, Black Who? Clifford's lyrics are also pretty free of cringeworthy moments. He had a good head on his shoulders and the force of the band hammering behind him backs up the statement with the force of a hurricane. Nider and Stevenson do wield their guitars like the bastard sons of Greg Ginn to some extent, but then there is often tangents that they go off in. Really though, a lot of people have tried hard to bite a little bit of what made Black Flag Black Flag, but no one got as close and eventually, if only for a moment, surpassed them. And that is what Blast clearly did on the power of expression. Hmm. I was thinking, what other bands were influenced by Black Flag? Void came up a few times. Have you ever heard of that? Heard that unreleased LP, Potion for Bad Dreams? By Void? Yeah. The DC band? Yeah. No. It, it never came out. It was supposed to come out on Touch and Go, but it didn't. It's been heavily boot, bootlegged, and it's worth picking up if you ever find it. It might be a little too metal for you, but I like it. It's it's my favorite thing that they've done. And then, of course, there's early Melvins, like Louis Poit, Porch Treatments, Ozma, yes. 26 yes. Songs, definite Black Flag influence there. Early yes. Neurosis, like Pain of Mind. Uh, yes. SSD, Ryan? Yes. I like the I like their later stuff, the heavier stuff. I kind of started with 83's Get It Away, and then 1984's How We Rock is pretty awesome. Definite flag influence there. There's some ginfluence in the guitar playing, I would say. And then your favorite, 1985's Break It Up, that which you included in your favorite albums on Homestead Records blog. Break It Up? Yeah. 
by SSD? Yeah, the one that came out on Homestead. No, I never included that. Sorry, dude. You didn't? No. What's the matter, Ryan? You don't like Blood Flood? (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that that wasn't on my list? Yeah, I'm trying to get under your skin. Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. I'm not, I'm not actually not that big. Like I like, I like some Boston hardcore, but I really only like kind of the first SSD 12 inch. Maybe that's about it. Yeah. That's the least interesting SSD stuff in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, a band everyone should check out. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned them on here before is Virulence Orange County band on Alchemy Records. Uh, Their album came out in 1989 if this isn't a dream also reissued with bonus tracks by Southern Lord. You ever heard that Ryan? No, I've never heard that. It's definite black flag influence and a huge blast influence too. Uh, they basically more or less morphed into the band Fu Manchu. And you know, that book we've been talking about lately cross over the edge. I think we mentioned. Yes. So there's a chapter on this band in there. Kenneth from the band says, The first time we saw Blast, words alone can't describe our surprise. We went to a show in Inglewood that the faction were supposed to play, but they cancelled and Blast played in their place. Scott and I were sitting up in the balcony of this old theater when Blast walked on stage. These surf dudes from Santa Cruz and put on their instruments. They struck the first couple of notes in time to think and Scott and I looked at each other with that what the fuck look before running down to the stage where we were completely blown away. Still my favorite band to this day. No way. Yeah. And there's actually a thing inside this, the reissue, where Scott Hill says, in November 1985, we saw Blast Live. We were floored. Huge sound. They were heavy, fast, slow, with weird breaks. They were a big influence from then on. We became friends with them. They got us on a lot of shows, and we are still friends to this day. And there's also a thing on Blast in this crossover, The Edge, written by Alexandros Anisiadis. And he's a Greek dude, and, you know, English is a second language. And considering that, like, the the book is really well done, and I would recommend it to anybody who's into a lot of these bands. Clifford says in that book, We were skateboarders who wanted to play music in a style that was overlooked, a style that would would include the blending of all of those diverse musical influences. From Black Flag to Black Sabbath to Skate Punk, so we brought it. I don't rate us as a crossover band. We were an SST band with some weight, but never totally embraced crossover in any obvious manner. One more review I found. This is from Ian Robinson on a blog called Mandatory. Imagine Black Flag's My War Era only really pissed off. Blast's guitars were huge slabs of weird dissonance and sonic combustion. It's in my blood pretty much blew a hole in the chest of hardcore. The impression that record left on those who heard it cannot be overstated. It's inspired bands that never listened to it. The ripple effect was that enormous. Honestly, Ryan, I'm kind of surprised that you don't hear the Greg Ginn influence on on the guitar playing. I guess the thing, it's not that I don't hear it, it's just not the part that sticks out to me as when people say these guys are influenced by Black Flag, because I guess when I think of Gin, I think of the most distinctive sound as being the last couple of albums, like in my head type stuff that was lots of like less power chords, I guess. Hmm. And this, this record to me seemed like more power chordy. I don't know. 
Uh, maybe it's the fact that for me, Black Flag is my war and slip it in. And almost all of these tracks sound like that era of Black Flag. Yeah. It's like, it's early Rollins, Black Flag, not the later stuff. And the later stuff is what I think of when I think of Gin, I guess. All right, let's go through the tracks. Let's do it. History Lesson, Part 2. Okay, side one, track one. Only Time Will Tell, written by Clifford Dinsmore and Mike Nider. This one starts off with that rumbling bass and the yep. the off-kilter guitar lick. It's kind of that Black Flag lurch, how they kind of lurch into the song. It's not perfectly in time, but it works. Nope. Like it's yep. not supposed to be. It's an amazing song intro. Uh, we talk about Slayer a bit in the podcast. This is a, the kind of thing Slayer would do on like Hella Waits or something like that. A big, big, big intro with the pick Build slides, up. Slayer pick slides in there. It's an amazing song intro. It would have been great live to like start a show with this to build the tension. And then it just kicks in with Cliff going, time to grab reality by the balls. And like, how about Bill's drum fills, man? Yeah. This next thing I wrote is kind of applicable to every Blast song. I just wrote, what a weird song. I'm not sure if it has a chorus. There's all these different instro breaks uh, with Mike kind of blasting off, no pun intended, into some like ginisms here and there. This is the longest song on the on the album, five minutes, eighteen seconds, mostly pr- probably because of the intro, and then there's and then it slows down into that time keeps slipping away, which is definitely something Flag would do. Cool lyrics. I hope the words to this song don't come true. I hope you live to call me a liar. Awesome opening track. All right, track two, sometimes written by Cliff and Mike more of those Slayer pick slides. The way they start and stop is off time a bit, very Flag-esque. Where Mike puts his leads is also inspired by Gin. Again, I can see why they get defensive about the Black Flag influence, and I'm sure they're sick of hearing about it, but it's so undeniable. Uh, I, I just, I don't see why it's a negative. Yeah, I think people thought it was negative because it was viewed as derivative and that's that's my beef it's with, not. Uh, with with it well yeah blast is not derivative of black flag not for a second they are influenced by and so are tons of other bands get over it exactly uh track three winding down cliff and mike wrote it uh very quick finger-picked bass at the beginning of this he talks about steve harris you want to talk about a guy who can play super fast with his fingers from uh maiden He's crazy. This one has lots of twists and turns and some absolutely scorching leads in it. Uh, the fourth track, Look Into Myself, written by Clifford and S. Stevenson. So this maybe predates this album, I'm assuming. Uh, he talks a little bit about uh, some of these songs uh, originally being done by MAD. I listened to that demo. I didn't hear it, the MAD demo. It, it doesn't sound like this to me, any of this stuff. Mm. Where do you find the demo? Uh, you can find it online, on like oh, okay. YouTube and stuff. It's pretty speedy, hardcore. So this track was written before Steve left, I assume. This is the one that reminds me of uh, Liar for Hire by DOA a little bit, the opening lick. As the title suggests, some great introspective lyrics, kind of the like Rollins or Greg Ginn were writing for Black Flag, as opposed to like the No Nukes or No Reagan type lyrics that you heard a lot around this time yeah 
Uh, and then two minutes into this, they totally go into a Greg Ginn chord. Like, I'm almost waiting for, I'm not a machine. <laughs> uh, track five, Tomorrow, written by Cliff and Mike. That riff, when Cliff starts going, Tomorrow, tell me that you'll try. Like, this one would have just ri- totally whipped the pit into an absolute frenzy. This was a highlight yeah. for me, this one. Yeah, tomorrow. yeah, I'm with you. I flip it over and we're on the track. Shh. This one starts with like a cool, creepy scream. The changes are like almost like a prog rock band or something. And I, I like when uh, when Clifford's whispering like the future. It's ours. It's out there. It's time. Uh, I love that part. So many riffs and so many different parts. It's like a lot of these blast songs are almost like mini songs within a song. Great lyrics and some awesome chugging riffs in this one. Another highlight. Really liked this one. Track two on side two, Poison, written by Clifford, Mike, and Dr. Twang, who is Kip Duvall. And this one's like, I wrote, even when they do hardcore, it's all over the map rhythmically. They They were so tight. This is the shortest track on the album, minute 35. Track three, Sequel, written by Clifford and Kay Duvall. Not sure why he's Kay Duvall and not Dr. Twang on this one. This reminds me a bit of the song Rat's Eyes. And he even says, sullen look in your eyes. Which is, in Rat's Eyes, Rollins says solid, the word sullen eyes as well. Lots of really n- noisy guitar ripping from Mike here. Uh, some amazing drumming from Bill. Track 4, Something Beyond, written by Cliff and Mike. This one is the one that has the drum intro that reminds me of the Judas Priest track, Painkiller. It's a total riff fest. Either Mike doubled up the guitars or they used some of Kip's tracks on some final mixes on It's In My Blood because there are definitely two rhythm tracks on this one and a few other songs too. You can hear them. And then track five, the title track, It's In My Blood. It This is the perfect ender, an epic that's all over the place in the best way. You know, most bands would kill for even just one of these riffs that they just use for one part of a song and then move yeah. on. It's like a throwaway. Yeah, every track just has like riffs that other bands would build entire songs around. This is the second longest track, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the first and the last track are the longest, clocking in at at least five minutes. I mean, you definitely look at how they sequenced the songs everything else in between those two five minute ones are like two minutes or three minutes yeah interesting approach artwork yeah like mine is uh i guess like a almost a day glow pink color on black and it's got the the praying hands with a rosary yeah. on the front love that blast logo though and then the back album cover has got them like sitting on a railroad tracks a la combat rock by the clash kind of yeah it's kind of got all the writing in a circle which is like yeah. an, definitely an sst thing we've seen this before yeah. for sure talks about how it's recorded february 87 mars studio engineered by ken craft um, the cover art is by patrick manning oh there must mean the back cover photo here by jason freeland Insert photos. It looks like they're just going off in these pictures, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, dude, if you haven't watched footage of them playing live, it's they were intense. Yeah, no, I didn't get around to that. I should have. 
and let's see good um good thank you list hey santa cruz skateboards rob roskop uh chuck greg ginn everyone at sst rich ford yeah dave rat yep i think maybe dave rat did sound for them maybe i'm not sure hit me with some dead wax right there is some dead wax did you know that yeah i knew that oh okay so here's what it says on side a time to grab reality by the balls and side b says it's time exclamation point it's time (laughs) it's out there the future it's ours ryan the future grab it i'm glad i i gave this record a listen again i gotta be honest i probably would not have pulled it out and it's been a long time since I've listened to it. I don't even th- I don't even remember buying it on vinyl. I don't know. I probably found it for pretty cheap at one point. I had it. I think I had p- only part of it on like the side of a 60-minute tape at one point way way back. I love it, man. The thing about this album for me is you know, I listen to it every day this week. Uh, sometimes when I was kind of not in the mood for it, and this is one where you kind of need to be in the mood to listen to it it's like the rollins band end of silence one of my all-time favorite records i can listen to like the first four songs anytime but once you start getting into the really heavy shit like the last second half of that album yeah i have to be in the mood or it's gonna make like i i was listening to this on my phone this blast album while i was cleaning the house and it i had to stop like i was just getting angry <laughs> very aggressive dusting going on as a result ballot result let's do it ballot result i kind of feel like a dim bulb here like i gotta re-listen to this record and try and like hear the gin influence now like i've been taken to school this whole bloody episode well you know what you want to do is tee up that blood cd that i scored you yeah i can't believe i haven't put that i would have usually put that on by now i completely forgot i had it i better uh i better dial that up man is it um is the the mix i mean i take your point that it sounds better but is it better from a like instrumentation appreciation perspective as well i think so i think if you grew up listening to this original version you would probably disagree you know what i mean Mm. like if you had a really deep connection to this recording you would probably disagree that blood is better yeah i don't that's just my personal opinion but uh i'm not saying one way or another whether it's actually better or not i just like it better and and by degrees it's not like infinitely better or anything but i you know i like the restored guitar tracks it sounds good dave grohl knows what he's doing in a studio and there's a video on online of like them working on it and getting interviewed about it and Dave Grohl talking about how he met Blast when he was on tour with Scream and how much how revered the band is to him um, there's stuff with Greg Anderson uh, from Southern Lord where he's like I'll flat out say it they're better than Black Flag oh I I think I said this at the outset of the episode I think it's because I think they are not as revered as black flag because they are not as well known as black flag because the specter 
of Black Flag. Like they just loom so large. It's very, very hard to overcome that. And yeah. but I will say, like, why can't Blast be as good as or better than Black Flag? Why do you have to pick? That's the stupid thing. Why why can't you love both bands? Oh, you don't have to pick. I don't think. Yeah. The the thing that I get hung up on though is familiarity. And familiarity sometimes drives what your favorite is not because they're better but it's just because you're what you're more familiar with had i gotten into think about how much flack we took for not being like head over heels for the stains record yeah you know people just went ape shit on us for that and <laughs> they did they did and it's like do we think that you know the stains suck no it has to do with like how they enter your life at the time. And it's, it's entirely possible that if black flag wasn't everywhere and instead blast was there, they would be held at a different level. Yeah. And again, I'm just talking about my hometown too, right? I think for me, blast is to black flag. What St. Vitus is to black Sabbath. St. Vitus clearly loved black Sabbath and a lot of the artwork choices they made and you know using crosses and stuff like that is a reference to black Fla uh, to black sabbath and that's yeah. great yeah like no one slags vitus for being influenced no. by sabbath though right no that's what i'm saying it's ridiculous yeah. yeah agreed you better pick uh your favorite song and get it over with man uh i like oh man i like all of these songs i like my favorites though were tomorrow Shh, that one I like Tomorrow, too. It kind of reminded me of ACDC, almost. <laughs> it's a rocker. It's yeah. actually a rocker, too, right? If I'm picking, though, I want to go with Only Time Will Tell, just because of that intro, man. Yeah. And, like, the it's drumming intense. in that song is insane. It's intense. These dudes could play. That's the thing. You could not go into a studio and record something like this unless you were well-rehearsed and you could play your asses off. This is challenging music, man. Yeah. All right, Ryan, uh, instead of asking you what's next week, like I normally do at this point, I'm going to tell everyone to have uh, happy holidays because we're not going to have a show next week. Yeah, we'll catch you in the new year. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> we haven't discussed yet when we'll be back, but it won't be long. And uh, we're both cooking up top 10 of 2019 lists for the for the comeback episode. So I've got a... I've got a massive stack. It's oh, going to be man. hard to pick. It's man. hard. It's been a great year. I've got yeah, to whittle it down from a list of like a hundred. So, Ooh, well you got a bigger list than me. That's insane. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you like spend your, your kid's college fund or what? <laughs> My kids don't need to go to college, man. Yeah, that's right. They're already going to the school of rock. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> from dad. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good holiday, everybody. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.